So a lot of people don't know, this is Ryan, by the way. Um, I went to community college for my first two years, and then I went and transferred to a, a UC school, University of California school, because the deal was in California at the time, if you could take the junior college classes and you could get a good enough score, then they would uh, automatically let you into the University of California school system. Uh, I did it that way because I started school late. I already had a child and another one on the way when I started going to school full-time and working full-time and all that jazz. But one of the toughest classes I took because I was going pre-dental was with a guy who taught our organic chemistry class. The cool thing about um, the junior college in California was that uh, the classes were super small. So there were probably about 35 kids in this organic chemistry class, which is good because this class was super tough. Organic chemistry is terrible. If you ever have to take it, I'm sorry, but it was a hard class. And so I figured um, I would schmooze a little bit to help me with my chances of getting a better grade because I needed to pass the class. I didn't want to take another time. Um, so I got to know the, t- the professor pretty well during lab. And one of the things I found out that was super fascinating is that he worked for Baskin Robbins 31 Flavors, which is the ice cream company for those that aren't familiar with it. And I got talking with him about flavoring chemistry, and he said, you will never learn flavoring chemistry in the universities. I was like, well, that seems really weird. It seems like that would be really important. He says, it is. In fact, it's so valuable and so important that all of the secrets of flavoring chemistry are maintained in the corporate environment. So... It's not anything you learn in college because nobody will let it go out in the college. There's contracts, binding, and all that. So the stuff that's most valuable never made it into college because it's too valuable <laughs> to be in college, which is really fascinating. And I kind of feel like small business marketing is much the same. There are no guardians of truth. Okay, There's no small business marketing guardian of truth. There are gurus all over the place, You know, people that are willing to sell you, uh, you know, advice and tips for money. But there, there's always pressure on these gurus to intrigue, you know, something new, bright and shiny. Um, so in, in those things that are new and bright and shiny rarely have been tested or, or verified or seen through. And so as a result, I'd say most of the advice in the small business marketing world is pretty terrible. Trent, your thoughts? Yeah. For the most part, there are some people that have that actually provide real value and not trying to sell. Yeah, and you'll find you can discover who they are because everybody's referencing them. So that's that's one way. Um, but they usually should not be the newest guy on the block or the youngest kid or the the newest uh, shining star. They're usually staunch, been around for a long time. And the, the reason why is because the best techniques are largely hidden and must be discovered. So you've got to kind of work your way through them. So even if a guru gives you some key or secret into them, most of them are not um, exposed. Like, and even the people that do have them, like, I feel like we have some of them through our experience, but people are always a little suspect because we also sell software. So they would think sometimes when we're teaching a concept, it's just to sell the software. But once they get to know us, hopefully they can see past that. So one of the common myths um, because well, of this. Maybe we should introduce the episode, Ryan. We jumped oh, right into shoot. your store here. <laughs> well, we, you're, you're actually about to cover it. It's, it's um, called Marvel right. number 19. Um, I can tell the story about that towards the end, but why it's marking rule number 19, not one or two or whatever, but we'll get to that. But the reason I hadn't brought it up yet is because um, I want to cover this myth and not myth in the classical sense, but in the modern sense, which means it's a falsehood. It's a fable. And that is it. The, if you ask for less, you'll get more leads. 
And we kind of, if you listen to the last episode towards the end, we kind of talked about this a little bit, right, Trent? Yep. With the uh, the noise that happens when you get more leads, but there's this. And it, the problem with this um, fable that if you ask for less, you get more. When leads. you say ask for less, what do you mean by that? Less contact information, right? Okay, so on an order form or opt-in form, I mean. Yeah, if, if I ask for less, I'm going to get more leads. Now, the problem with this is it's true, but it's also false at the same time, okay? So when Trent and I had our training company, we had this registration form, and we asked for name, email, address, uh, the actual physical address, the office number, the mobile phone, the fax. Yeah, the fax numbers back then. Yeah, this and for our industry, which was real estate, you know, the fax is still still is used. So we asked for all of this stuff, right? Everything, and it, it was working great. We were getting, and the reason I did that is because we had actually kind of stumbled into one of these people who actually knows the stuff, and they share the stuff that actually works. And so instead of us buying into this common principle, people tell you, "Oh, just ask for email," or if you if you're really bold, name an email. And then you'll get the best leads. We said, no, we're going to ask for everything. And the reason we did that is because we knew our offer was compelling. And I think we'll probably get into offer at some point during one of these series. And I think we probably have a podcast in the past that covered this. But your offer is critical. In fact, I got an interview with uh, Jeb um, that you'll see on our uh, Fix Your Funnel interview series. So you'll look for that coming out in the, in the near future, hopefully. And we talk about offer creation. So that'll be a good one. But we had a killer offer. So we were getting tons of leads. And then um, we started to have a, a situation where the number of leads as a percentage of visitors was decreasing. And so, you know, you want to keep track of those kind of me- metrics, but you recognize they're all relative. And But we saw a dec- decrease. And so I thought, well, I, I questioned the judgment that we had, right? And I said, well, maybe I should ask for less. And so I reduced that form significantly. And leads continued to be down. They didn't go up. And so I then realized, oh, no, the real problem was my offer wasn't strong enough. And so Trent and I hashed out a new offer, updated our language, and then uh, restored our form to be asking for everything in the dog again. And lo and behold, opt-ins went up. So it was more about the offer. But that's a common mistake people make is they think, oh, well, I'm just going to ask for email. And you can test this out. Go open up Facebook if you have an account. Scroll through, find some sort of ad that's asking for something. Click on it. Go to their squeeze page and see if they don't ask for just name and email. I'm, I'm going to give it, uh, what, nine to one that they do, right? Mm-hmm. So why is this such a problem, Trent? And why is it so stupid? And I Gosh, that's a strong word, but it is from my perspective. Well, it's stupid. uninformed for a lot of people. It's uninformed. uninformed. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, it comes down to marking rule number 19. And this is, this is episode four of beyond the messaging connection. I'm Trent Chapman. That's Ryan. And in today's episode, we're talking about marketing rule number 19. And that is know how you will sell before you decide how to lead capture. Now I'm going to dive into that, what that means but it really comes down to this. Um, if you've read Stephen Covey's book, Highly Effective Habit, um, number two says, begin with the end in mind. So if I'm selling to a group of people, and I know that I need to get them on the phone in order to have a conversation to close them, I'm probably going to lead capture by asking for their phone number um, because I can't really call people based on their email address. So that's the rule number um, 19 is know how you will sell before you decide how to lead capture. Now, if I'm going to sell through direct mail, like I need to send them a package in the mail, I'm going to need their mailing address. 
If I'm going to sell through fax or provide information through fax, I need a fax number. I'm going to call them again or text them. I need a phone number. If I'm going to remarket to them, I'll probably need some information like an email address that I can use or a phone number I can use to remarket to them or a pixel on the Facebook pixel or Google pixel. And so I'm going to ask for, I'm going to know about this information I'm going to need before I actually lead capture. And if I need to email them, of course, I need an email address. So with, with what Ryan and I did with our other business, we knew that we wanted to be able to remind people about an upcoming training that they registered for. So we asked for all that, their name, their email, their phone number, their fax, address, fax number, their, email, um, their mailing address, because we even mailed them stuff as a reminder. So because we knew in order to get them to show up to our event, we needed to remind them in multiple different mediums, we lead captured with name, email, at home at our office address, office number, mobile number, fax number, all those things, because we knew we had to sell to them or remind them through those mediums. So if we this were is, decided, we would not do those things. This is the mistake that a lot of people make. And again, I apologize for saying stupid. I feel strongly about this stuff, but the, the, the real problem is that people don't think about the end. So they don't begin with the end in mind. And that's, if you haven't read uh, Steve Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I strongly encourage you to do so because the principles that I was, I was honestly fascinated as we were preparing these episodes for the podcast and how often one of these seven habits came up Mm -hmm. because, and you know, I know you read it as a young, as a young man. Um, I remember reading it when I was about 20 and it's just one of those books that, hits so deep into our human nature and, and principles of success that you've got to read it. Um, as much as people in the entrepreneurial world will say, read um, Think and Grow Rich, which you should, you really should read also Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People because this beginning with the end in mind will save you so much trouble. And uh, Trey, how many businesses have we helped where they had just been doing the email thing and then we got them to think of how they could up their offer so that and that's the thing is is if you're trying to collect a, a mailing address you have to have a reason right you can't just ask for it you got to have a reason and so first thing that you do is you go through the list like trent just did and say okay what are the mediums that we actually need to use in order for us to sell effectively see so that and it may not that. be selling as much as also i mean selling is kind of a that term refers to the whole marketing and sales process maybe maybe it's part of our nurture process yes so maybe I'll sell by fax for example but i might nurture or provide information by fax well and let's so let's qualify that statement too because i think um unfortunately the word sell has some bad connotations because people have some misnomers about what it means sell means to help somebody arrive to a point of making a buying decision so that encompasses marketing to an extent but also corporate you know encompasses having that conversation with people that you may need be necessary and understand not every person that comes through a, a sales process will need to talk to a person in order to make a buying decision. Marketing may have gotten them close enough. And so they can just make the market, the buying decision, but a profitable, highly profitable business will involve someone talking to somebody at some point. So the question is how do we need to communicate the information that prepares them for the buying decision? And so like Trent was saying, maybe we need to send them a fax in order to give them something that helps them prepare to make a buy, buying decision. Maybe we need to mail them a package or a book or something in order to prepare them to make a buying decision. So that's, that's what I'm thinking of when I'm saying sales. Do, is there anything else that you would add, Trent? No, that's, I just want to make that clear is that because we don't necessarily ask for the sale, maybe 
by those mediums, but they're going to help in the sales process. Um, and in some cases, for example, like we mentioned earlier, there's yeah, some products or services that. that have to be sold by phone. You can't sell until you've had a conversation with somebody. So if you're asking just for email. About, let's talk about our training company real quick. Um, why did we need all this stuff? How did we use the, the contact information that we gathered? Yeah, as I kind of mentioned a little bit, was the re- main reason was we wanted people to show up to our trainings because by them showing up, we knew what our percentage of people that showed up that would actually invest in our training course. And if they invest in the training course, we knew that we could help them and help their customers. So for us, it was really important to get them to show up to the training. They showed up, sat through the three-hour training that was for free. Then they were going to um, have more success in their business, and we were going to have um, a certain percentage of them invest in our training. So for us, we, we'd send them a fax to remind them of the event the day before. We did a voice broadcast. Uh, we started towards the end doing a text as well. Um, we would also send them an e- several emails right when they registered, and then a couple the day before, or the, the day before the day of. Um, give them the address, the instructions on how to arrive, sometimes even a link to a map so they could click on the link, open up their maps. So the whole intent we had here was to help them to arrive and be reminded of this event they might have registered for a week or two in advance so that the day of, they'd already had it scheduled in their calendar, they're ready to show up, they got the email, the text, the phone call, and they were ready to show up and be there. So for, and sure. also, wouldn't, wouldn't we felt a, a, a postcard. What's that? Wouldn't email just have been as effective as all of that? No, and that's the thing that a lot of people assume that if I email them, they register, they want to show up. That's that's not the case because we know that one out of five emails gets opened, and that's probably not saying that they read them, but they clicked it and opened it. It was marked as opened. Um, a lot of emails get missed, and if you're like me, you've got thousands of emails that never get opened that just get mass deleted um, because you don't have time to go through every single email. So that's, that's, a, that's a something that's something that you have to remember is that if you have, in this case, this is a unique experience, right? A live event. Most of you probably don't do live events, but you still have a message you want them to, to view and see and content you want them to consume so they can learn more about your product or service to make a buying decision. So well, for us, I want to go into that they see that. I want to go into a little bit like what, what we actually did. So one of the things we did even on the registration thank you page is we had a faux ticket. It was faux because it looked like it had a scannable barcode, but really it was the same barcode for everything because I didn't know how to make a unique barcode. And this is back in the yeah. late 2008, 2009 era. So, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> and we would ask them to print off because at that time everybody was using computers, probably connected to a printer, especially in our industry. So, print off the thank you page and put that next to their desk. And why would I do that? I wanted, I'm thinking about the sales process. I want to get something that st- stays in front of them. So why did I fax instead of just email? I wanted another physical thing to get in front of them. Why did we send a postcard instead of just email? What's something physical to get in front of them? Why did we text? Because we knew that that was going to be in the right place, right time. Cause we would send the text the morning of, and it would have a link to the maps, you know, so they could be able to get there we would remind them of the time and the, and we'd give them the address and the location. So we, we, we did all these things thinking about what could we make it do to make it easier for them to arrive at a buying decision. And the first step was sit in the room for three hours. So all this stuff was orchestrated because we were thinking, what does it take to get somebody to do what we need them to do to get to the buying decision? Now your sales process mm-hmm. probably isn't nearly as complicated as that. Yeah. But here's but, the thing. We, we knew how we were going to have to sell. 
before we decided to lead capture. We knew how we were going to have to follow up and nurture the lead to get them to show up before we asked them to fill out a form. Because if you do that in hindsight, you say, okay, I'm going to ask for an email address. And then, oh, wait, I should probably text them and call them and send them a letter and do all these other things. Well, I don't have all those mediums now because I only asked for their email address. So your opportunity to get more information is usually passed. It's a lot harder to get more information out of them later versus just asking for it up front when you have a compelling offer right there. Okay, so a lot of people probably aren't going to have our sales process that we have yeah, in that company. you don't need all that stuff. But they, they probably, uh, there's probably quite a few people that will listen that do webinars, right? Mm-hmm. And what's the most frequent uh, piece of information asked for? You know, what's a, a typical registration form for a webinar? Email or name and email. Yeah. And some of them, uh, it's become more common in the last five years to have an optional uh, cell phone number. It's remote. almost always optional, right? Yeah. Now, I want you to know this about webinars. If you wanted to double your webinar sales, if you're doing a webinar and then you, you make an offer at the end and people buy, or that you make an offer at the end and people set an appointment, if you want to double that outcome, here's, there's one thing that you can do that will double that outcome. You send a, a text message. It's not an email because email won't work. And it's not a phone call because people won't answer. You send a text message to people that attended the webinar but didn't take the course of action that you wanted them to take. I call them should have bots because they did everything a buyer would do except for spend money or set an appointment, depending on, again, what you call the action is. And you just ask them one question. Say, hey, I noticed you got on the webinar today, but you didn't do X. Is there a question that you have that I can answer for you? Or is there a reason why? You could either ask either of those things. If you just did that, you would double your sales or double your appointments because like Trent said in an earlier episode, there's usually one thing that holds someone back from taking that next step or from making a buying decision. If you make it easy for them to ask that question, they'll usually ask that question. Okay. So why can't most people do this immediately? Because they don't ask for the cell phone number and they don't get permission to text people before the webinar. Mm -hmm. So that's the other thing that you didn't even cover though, is if I know that I want people to show up to my webinar, because webinars that are like, register for a day or three days or four days out, they don't have the best attendance um, because people forget, right? But if I'm doing a webinar like this, that text reminder was going to increase attendance. And then the question after the um, event itself is going to increase sales. So, but the point being, you got to think about, well, now that you know that strategy, what would I need to do at the time of lead capture in order to allow me to have that option? Well, marketing rule number 19 says you need to know how you're going to sell before you lead capture. So if you need to text them, you're going to need permission to text and their phone number. So one of the beautiful things about a, um, a text message lead caption, there's two ways primarily to do this. One is you use a web form. So if you do a web form, there's a couple of gotchas you got to look out for. Number one is people don't generally type in their phone number in the format you need in order for you to text. They do it in the, in the local format. Now, in the United States and Canada, that's okay because our number formats are fairly uniform, which means that you know, you've got the area code, the local code, and then the, the last four digits. In other words, you've got a 10-digit number. And um, so they're probably not going to put it in without the area code unless you're in a locale. Like I'm in Tucson, and the weird part about Tucson is it's one area code for the whole city. And so a lot of people don't even bother to include the 520 area code. They just go straight to the last seven digits. So if you have a web form where people are entering the last seven digits, you won't be able to text them. So that being said, that's the the one downside of collecting a phone number over the web form is data entry can be all over the place. 
if you're in a country like uh, United Kingdom or Australia, for example, you know, there is a totally different way that people type in the number and it can create all sorts of issues to get it formatted properly. We've got tools that help with our companies, but that's neither here nor there. But the point being, web form has that. And also in countries like the United States and some countries where they have regulations on texting, like Canada as well, you need express permission, which means they have to explicitly say, yes, you may send me a text message if you're collecting that phone number through a web form. And you don't want to have a pre-checked box or have it hidden in the small. Yeah, those things are not allowed. And you have to give them some indication. I'm going to be sending you text messages about the webinar and after the webinar. So you have to kind of do that in order for you to be in safe territory with people. So are you saying there's too much work around this? I should probably just not text people, Ryan? No, that that's those are just things you got to do on the web form, and so a lot of people don't understand that, so they'll they'll do, make some mistakes and they kind of close off that option, even though they think they're opening the option. the The other method for collecting um, permission to text people and their cell phone number is by keyword. So, for example, I haven't said this yet, but you could go ahead and text "learn" to nine four nine eight three five five three zero zero and get a free copy. It's going to be a PDF and an audio version of the book, "The Messaging Connection." And so you can get that book, but that call to action allows um, me to know what your cell phone number is, to know the context. And now with that information, theoretically, I could call you, I could text you, I could remarket to you by um, using your phone number to identify you on Facebook or Instagram. Now, nobody's going to want to text into us, but <laughs> the problem is most uh, most marketers are leery of marketing. But what I'll tell you that will help you to say, yes, I'm cool doing that, is that well, we don't text people that don't want text messages. So in other words, just because we can doesn't mean we will. And this is important for you as well. If you go back to our previous episode, where we talked about seeing people as humans instead of money bags. That means you're going to be respectful of how you interact with them and you're going to set expectations and you're going to set those expectations clearly. You're not going to hide or kind of make it, you know, slimy or anything like that. You're going to be real clear about here's what, you know, here's what I'm going to send you and this is what I'm going to do. And you're going to do exactly what you say. And by doing that, you're going to make deposits in their attention currency account with you, which means they're going to welcome your future messages. They're going to find value in them because you're actually thinking about them and their problem instead of you and your money. And so all those things are going to lend to a better experience. So we we tend to have no problem with people texting in because they get a feel for who we are pretty quick in our marketing. And they can understand, oh, these guys aren't going to just be spamming me. They're going to be respecting me and they're going to respect uh, my, my time of communication. So the questions, the text messages, the things that we do are going to be showing that respect. But that's the beautiful part about the, the key word which means texting like a keyword like learn to a number 949-835-5300. I mean, on one side, that's really easy to memorize. And so it makes it great for you as a business owner. You don't have to you know, think about a website address or, you know, is it slash whatever. You, you just can remember a simple keyword and the phone number. It's like a, a walking yeah. web form. You're a walking web form. Yeah, you can throw it in a podcast like we have here. You can put it into a video. You can put it on a social media post. You can put it on a blog post. And those are things that um, so, our all do. So going back to they can text in to register by text message for a webinar. Finish, finish going over that thought. So now if they, if they text in to register for the webinar, um, I can still in an automated conversation collect their name and email, which is what most people do through a web form. But in the same process, I've collected their cell phone number and have opened the door to texting. 
And so um, one of the strategies that I'll do with that, with businesses, I'll teach them, and we do this one ourselves, is we'll say, okay, for example, text register to 760-621-8199. So that's another phone number, another keyword. And then they register for a webinar. So when they do that, they'll ask for their name and their email address, and then I'll have automation go ahead and register them for the webinar. Well, on the last text message of that automated conversation, what I'll do is I'll ask an open-ended question, which is, why did you register for the webinar today? And that encourages then a conversation to start. And so what I've done is I've primed the pump by asking someone why they wanted to register. Even if they don't respond, I've got them thinking about my webinar at a deeper level than if they just register. So I've done a few things to start setting the hook, so to speak, to get them to want to show up to the webinar. Now I can do a pre-webinar reminder text message, maybe has a link to attend the webinar. And then I'll finally, because I've collected the phone number for this webinar, I know that if they attend the webinar, but they don't take the action I'm going to invite them to do, I could send them a message and say, hey, I noticed you attended the webinar, but you didn't take the, the action I invited you to do. Was there some question that you had or concern that I could address? But all of that's possible because I thought about the end before the beginning. And if you don't know to think about that, then you'll miss out on so many opportunities. I think a classic example of this trend is Frank Kern, who was working with um, one of our partners, Ross Walker. And him and Ross worked out an idea to do that exact thing, to ask a question. He did it in his way, using his verbiage and his approach to his market. But he ended up doubling sales. So instead of doing a million dollars in sales, they did $2 million in sales as a result of just doing that from one. webinars from webinars yeah. and they couldn't have done it if they didn't know to ask for the right information in the beginning. And so that's why it's so critical to think through how do am I going to sell? You know, how am I going to communicate with people so that they can be able to make a good buying decision? And a good buying decision means they're evaluating on more things than just price, right? Mm -hmm. They're evaluating on things that are actually critical to them getting what they are after. And so it's, I think it's just really important that you think through that process because if you do, the world opens up to you. And now we can form a long-term business that has good margins and does well because we're not cutting ourselves off at the knees because we have to sell by email. Well, let's, let's talk about some of the different mediums, Ryan, and where people would want to use them. We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but yeah. like, for example, direct mail. I know that direct mail is less and less used, which actually is kind of a good thing because the more people shun it, the more it actually becomes more effective. If you go check your mailbox, you still get junk mail, right? Yeah, local mail, local junk mail, but not... The, the best thing, thing you can do is go look at that junk mail and see what everybody's doing. Because whatever they're doing, I can't remember who taught me this principle, but just go the opposite direction. Right? <laughs> if they're all doing, uh, you know, number 10 mailers, which is you know your typical letter mailer, then do a greeting card. Because the last thing you want to do is what everybody else is doing, because everybody else is getting uh, minor results. So that comes from this principle called the Pareto principle, which you probably heard is the 80-20 rule, right? That says 80% of the results come from 20% of the actions. But really what it is, it's a distribution that finds, us, finds itself everywhere, like in the stars and nature, um, in human interaction, everywhere. And what it is, is it says that wherever the bulk of the people are is where the lowest results are coming from. 
or where the lowest energy is being produced or whatever. And there's just a small number that are producing all the, the results and all the energy. And so whenever you see a bulk of people doing something, just go the opposite direction with that. So if I'm using direct mail and I see a bulk of people are, are doing the same thing, I want to do something totally different. And so that's where like I would, I mail a book, right? We, as part mm-hmm. of our business, we mail the messaging connection out to, to new Certain customers. leads. Yeah. Yeah. New and certain, some leads. And so that's a way that stand out and prepare people for a buying decision. Now, for some businesses, direct mail yeah. may not be a good result or good, figure out a good result may not, may not be a good option. But for many businesses, I think they should take a second look at it. Yeah. And all you have to do is use it judiciously, right? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't use it the same as I use email. Mm-hmm. So email is relatively inexpensive, not very well consumed, but easy to do. So I might be a little more prolific in emails, still paying attention to the attention currency concept, but you know I'm, I'm going to send a bunch more emails than I am direct mail. But direct mail in the right place can be very effective. So from our perspective, and I'm, I guess we're kind of pulling back the curtain here, Trent, so hopefully this is for our benefit, doesn't hurt us. But um, we don't view the when someone signs up for our software as the sale. For us, the sale occurs maybe six months down the road when we know that they've actually started using the software and it's become an integral part of their business. So when we send out a book, it's usually after they've been around for a couple of weeks. And when we send that book out, that's part of our helping them become a long-term customer. Trying to confirm the sale. Yeah, because the sale hasn't really, it started, but it hasn't finished. Right. So So for us, it's when the user of our software is actually using it and six months is probably longer, you know, than normal, but usually within 30 to 60 days, we're going to have a couple of our strategies implemented in their business. And then we know that they're going to stick for, for a long term because they're going to have success if they're using the strategies that we know work. So that's for us. Direct mail is used in the sales process. And so I'm pointing that out to say, you know, that's probably a more expensive piece of direct mail, but it's used at a point at which the prospect has identified themselves as very serious about becoming a long-term customer. Yeah. And so that's, that's where Trent's saying, use it, but maybe use it where it makes the most sense. So email, I don't know that we need to cover that much because we've covered that quite a bit in episode uh, two. One or two. Yeah. Yeah. But let's go into faxing. I don't know that there's much on faxing because faxing isn't as common today. There are some few industries, and you'll know it if it's your industry. Yeah, if it's your industry, you know, yeah, we still use fax machines. I was surprised recently someone told me to fax them something. I said, can I email it? She said, no, our company only allows faxing. So I had to, to pull out our login to our e-fax to figure out how to send a fax again. So that's very uncommon, but if your industry does it, You'll know that, and that's something you want to ask for in your opt-in form if you know that's a way that you could communicate with them and you know, get more information to their physical world through a fax machine or maybe through their email inbox. But a lot of times if they have an email fax or e-fax coming through, they usually pay more attention to those than a traditional email. Now, the, the real advantage to fax is the same for me as direct mail, which is you're getting into the physical world. So we're always concerned about getting into the physical world because uh, marketing is about consumption, not delivery. So, mm-hmm. and that's an important concept to remember. Marketing is not about sending messages. It's about having those messages consumed by a prospect, ideally someone who is a qualified, you know, really would want Good fit to for your service or yeah. product. Yeah. So remarketing is the next one that we want to talk about. Remarketing is really cool in many ways because it takes advantage of uh, the negative human 
nature. <laughs> I know that sounds bad when I'm saying it, but the fact is, I don't think there's anybody that says, I, you know, I really need to be spending more time on social media. And they yet they do. And so uh, remarketing allows us to be able to put ads in front of people as a, not as an advertising medium, but as a marketing and sales medium. And oh. this is where a lot of people miss the boat because they, they will like, do you know anybody Trent that doesn't or has not tried Facebook ads at some point? I mean, there's, there's some businesses that they don't feel like it's a good fit for them. Most businesses yeah. have tried some, some bit of boosted post or Facebook marketing. That is advertising. So that's trying to get people even aware that your business exists. But once somebody has raised their hand in some way, remarketing becomes a way of doing marketing. And so if you get a cell phone number, for example, and an email address, you got just about 100% chance of identifying that person on Instagram and Facebook. Well, that's pretty powerful because now you can put your ad in front of them, not as an advertisement, but as an actual marketing piece. So it's communicating something that's going to drive them towards a buying decision versus just becoming aware that your company and your solution exist. And so that's, that's a pretty powerful one. You know, the downside to that is, you know, it is hidden within the social feed. And so you've got to really make sure your ad's powerful in order for it to stand out and, and make a difference um, in terms of delivering your message to the person. But, you know, it's, if you do it right, it can be a relatively inexpensive way of, of getting that message that's not being seen in the email inbox seen. And again, marketing is about consumption, not delivery, not attempts yeah. at delivery. And we, we often think about well, what is the messages at week one or week two or week three of being a lead that would be good for them to see. And there are strategies where you can dynamically adjust what ads are showing and remarketing based on, based on how long they've been in your, your lead database. And so that's a more of an advanced strategy, but that's something that's also possible is you can do time-based or action-based um, moving them from remarketing list A to remarketing list B automatically. Um, so that, that's some really cool stuff there. Um, last, let's talk about phone, phone. So calling and texting, right? And we, we've kind of gone over this, but let's dive a little bit deeper. The advantages and disadvantages of calling and texting. Well, from my perspective, calling is, has a huge advantage in terms of transmitted information. And we're trying, when we're talking about getting someone to a buying decision, being able to hear the, the pauses and the concerns in their voice is very powerful for the salesperson to be able to know, okay, what information do I need to relay to this prospect in order for them to make a buying decision? And so calling is, is great. The disadvantage of calling is nobody answers their phone anymore. Not nobody, but fewer <clears throat> people. Well, why don't they answer, Trent? Usually because they don't trust you or don't know you yet. So that's where using texting as a way to open the conversation often leads to the opportunity for a phone call that is actually productive. So when you're saying that, are you saying they don't recognize your number as well? Is that maybe they don't recognize the number or maybe they don't um, have any relationship with you. So they don't have your number saved. So um, they don't I think the number one reason I don't answer is because I don't recognize the number. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying that they don't trust you and that they don't know, trust you specifically, but if someone calls me and they're not in my contact database, I usually don't answer the first time unless I've texted with them before I know the number. And that's usually the advantage that comes from starting with texting and then rolling into a phone conversation is that, hey, I'm going to go ahead and call you in, in 10 minutes and let's talk about these three questions that you asked. And that's you know, what's really cool about calling on a, to a, a mobile number now, Trent, is it's about 100% of, of phones that you call are smartphones. Mm-hmm. Just about every one of them has some sort of machine learning going on. So trying to gather information and then make it available in important times 
And if you text somebody to their mobile number, right? And on their mobile number, you text them, hey, this is Trent Chapman with Fix Your Funnel. At the beginning of that text, uh, the phone is extracting that information. So even if they haven't installed your contact information, uh, which is called the V card, yeah, Trent, then it, it will give a suggestion when you call saying, hey, maybe Trent Chapman. Yeah. Well, that becomes super valuable for calling because the number one reason people don't answer is because they don't know who it is. Yeah. And so you probably experience that if that's happened to you, you probably experience that where you see like, how does my phone know this is Trent calling me? I don't have my contacts. And that's how it works. It it's looking at your text message saying, Oh, this came from someone who introduced themselves as Trent from the same phone number. It, it can also sometimes extract it out of emails as well. Yeah. So just just be aware of that because you can step again. This is thinking about the end from the beginning, and if you do that, then you can start doing some things that will help you have an advantage to actually getting your message relayed to the person so they can make a buying decision. So, Trent, you want to finish up on texting? What are the advantages and disadvantages of texting? Um, I feel like we've gone to this quite a bit, but I'll just kind of highlight for for us. We know that the advantage of texting is the consumption of the message. Um, like we mentioned earlier, it's not about how many people get the message delivered to them or sent to them. It's how many actually open it and read it. And um, consumption of your message is much higher through texting than by email or by even direct mail. Um, so that's, that's the highest consumption medium right now. Um, and everyone has a phone number that's text enabled pretty much if they're in a civilized world. And so if you're marketing and selling to them, they probably have a smartphone. And it probably does texting as a native thing. They don't have to download an app. They don't have to have an extra special um, you know, account they log into. Their phone number and their phone have that all enabled by default. So that's the, the advantages is I can pretty much text almost every lead. Again, granted, I get permission. I ask the proper opt-ins or have them text me first. The disadvantage, I say, to texting is that it does require you, in most cases, to get the opt-in. I would not abuse this medium. A lot of people are not very smart with how they handle this and they'll rent or buy a list of a thousand contacts and send out a text broadcast thinking this is smart marketing. Um, that is, that is not at all what you should be doing if you want a long-term business. So that's a, if you're doing a pump and dump, like we talked about in our last episode, episode three, where you don't care about people and you're just caring about making money off of people, then you can try that and then you'll get your number blocked and maybe some um, FCC complaints so that's the downside of texting. You can't just, I, and I don't even, think even a downside to really, right. <laughs> that be, won't even work. You can't so be ignorant. Let's, let's talk about it and kind of, we, this can be towards the close here, but how do you open the door to conversations on texting? Because that's really what you've got to do. Like if you did the thing that you said where someone illegally purchased the list, cause that's, you know, or purchased the list and then illegally starts text, texting people without the permission, uh, they haven't opened the door to texting. No. They just got phone numbers. So how do you open the door to texting so you're not yeah, annoying? If you want a positive text. response and not a negative response in lawsuits, the best way to do that is to be respectful people. So what we talk about is having people text in a keyword and going through a short automated conversation where we ask for their name, their email. We already have their phone number, right? Because they already texted us first. We capture that right away. So we just ask the additional information and maybe open-ended question at the end that leads to a conversation by text. That's probably one of the more popular ones when you're doing webinars, speaking from stage, doing a video where you want to have a call to action on the video, or like in this case, the podcast that we're doing, we have a call to action that's a text and call to action. Those are all great ways to use a keyword conversation 
and because I can use different keywords for different situations. That, I know, that way I know where they're coming from and what information they're asking for so I can provide, provide the right uh, thing to them. So if you text in the word learn to our number, which I don't have memorized, right? It's 949-835-5300. I should memorize that. Anyway, if you text the word learn, then that's going to put you into that category of someone interested in the book and we're going to send you the book. I could also do a different one with a different word and have it deliver a different um, PDF or something of value we've created for you. So that's, that's one of the well, benefits of doing that as you open the door to, through a conversation. So I, I like to imagine that if you looked at laws and regulations, they're a circle, you know, let's say a small circle. Mm-hmm. And then outside of that is a larger circle, which has um, what, what's smart to do from a psychological marketing relationship building standpoint. Yeah. And if you, if you do the smart psychological uh, relationship building thing, you avoid going into a territory where you get into legal trouble. And so I, mm-hmm. I'm always thinking, how do I psychologically open that door? And I feel like what you said with the automated conversation, that, that it gets people going, oh, I can text with this number. And then the open-ended question at the end of it, like you were talking about, that makes people say, oh, there, this leads to live interaction. So not only is there this automated potential, but there's also this interacting with a live human potential, which means I can get answers to questions I have. So if this person or this company texts me in the future, I know I can actually get a response from somebody. Well, that's the psychological door turn that we need to have happen. We need to turn that doorknob and open the door. And I feel like uh, the automated messaging is is turning the doorknob and the live texting is opening the door. So you want to get someone to a point where they're, they're live text interacting with you as soon as possible, because then that says, oh, this is a convenient, fast way for me to interact with this company. And that can be the difference between them choosing to do business with you and somebody else, all things being equal. Yeah. And once, once people start texting you, it's, it's just a matter of time before you answer the right questions they have. So it's a much faster way of getting them to that buying decision and being able to see and understand the value that you provide. And then oftentimes, like we mentioned earlier, if it needs a phone call, having that conversation by text can easily lead to a phone call that they're going to answer. Um, I feel like they're interested. People generally are afraid to talk to salespeople because they know that silver tongue. Yeah. Sell them, right? Get them to buy something they don't really want and I want to do that. And so the texting acts as a buffer. You know, it kind of gives them this safe place in which they can fill the person out, fill the company out and see like, okay, is this person really interested in helping me? And once they feel like reassured, which can happen through the texting conversation, then they go, Hey, let's just get on the phone that way we can speed this process up. And so that's the beautiful part. If you do know, Hey, phone calls are critical to our process. Texting is what leads to phone calls more than anything else. And I just, for me, it's been fascinating to see how big a difference that is. Yeah, and that's, that's really been the key to growing a lot of our businesses is opening that door either by having them fill out a web form and saying, yes, I want this information that you're sending to me by text and by email, and then starting that conversation with them and asking questions, providing value, and making sure that we're always depositing into their attention currency with the, with the offers or, or not the offers, with the information and the um, videos and content we're providing. We're trying to increase that perceived value that we're giving to them so that we can be looked at looked upon as someone that's welcome versus someone that's annoying and just trying to ask for money. That's really where we want to be in your business is how can I continue to use all these mediums 
Think about what mediums are appropriate for your business. Think about if I use this medium, what kind of content or things can I provide to either give them value or open the conversation by text or by phone so that I can lead to more sales of my product or service. And of course, on the back end of that, going back to our last episode, you're really trying to provide value for them. You're not just trying to sell them. You're actually trying to provide value. You understand what you offer, brings value to them. And if you're doing it with that intent and that mindset, increasing your sales is a good thing. And that's what we want to help you do. That's awesome. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, again, this is beyond the messaging connection. We're going deeper into the topics in the messaging the connection, the book. If you don't already have a copy, I invite you to get a free copy by texting LEARN to 949-835-5300. If you're not quite ready for that level of interaction with us, by all means, you can go purchase a copy at Amazon. It's the messaging connection. Uh, but if you'd like a free audio and uh, digital copy, and the reason we want the digital copy along with the audio copy, the audio is probably easier to consume for a lot of people because they just listen to it. But the digital copy allows you to be able to reference some of the things that we mentioned in the book that I felt like were more valuable to actually see versus just hear. And so there's some techniques and some strategies. You might want to look at those questions, think about how we're doing those. In fact, that's what we're going to cover in the next episode is keyword-driven conversations. So we've been talking about these automated conversations, but there's a lot of little nuances to them. So I want you to totally understand how those work, how you can deliver them the most effective way, because we've seen people try and use keyword conversations to generate leads from the stage, for example, and just fail miserably. And so they make bad assumptions about the effectiveness of that, but it's just because they didn't know what they were doing. And we're going to teach all that in the next episode and kind of get into why it works the way it does. Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Uh, we look forward to sharing with you in episode five about keyword-driven conversations.